0: Timothy, chapter 6, verse 3. Would someone uh, start us out with by reading the word?
1: If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and arguments that result in envy, quarreling, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain.
0: Thank you. All right, let's dive in.
2: Does here's also end with, from such, withdraw yourself?
1: No. Huh.
2: Sorry, I I was just wondering because that Yeah, yeah, in the the King James version it does end with that
1: I'm reading out of the NIV
0: Just for comparison can you read the NIV for us? That was the NIV I'm sorry, the King James version, Hanson?
2: I can read the new King James version If if anyone (laughs) teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words
0: amazing what a few words can do for you, can't it? Okay, so again, who's he addressing here?
2: Timothy, and I don't think he's referring to the church in Ephesus as a whole.
0: What do you think he's addressing, then, if it's not the church as a whole?
2: To Timothy, because it says from such, well, in my version, it says from such withdraw yourself, Referring to him as an individual. So, him and, as an
0: individual, or is it his people in his position and title?
2: Well, if he's referring to a larger audience, it, it doesn't sound like a very favorable passage. It's like um, me going to and saying, if if anyone says anything other than what I'm saying, they know nothing. They're an idiot. Or you get what I'm saying. It's not really a tactful way to address people who disagree with you.
3: Right. But in this case, Paul isn't directly addressing the people that disagree
2: with him. Yeah. Right? He's, he's addressing Timothy. I And even he's referring to other people in the church as well, in a sense, because he says, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And so addressing the fact that there may be people in the church who are not there out of love for Jesus Christ, I think. I don't know.
1: It's like the Mississippi Squirrel Revival.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know how many of you have heard Ray Stevens' Mississippi Squirrel Revival, but no, nobody was really there out of...
1: They were there for the social s- status or, and other things.
4: I see here, um, I'm also reading in, in, the, in the commentary here that This is actually linked to the verses that we were talking about last week. So it's actually linked to slavery, okay? So there was actually a controversy within the church at this certain time that because Paul was actually talking about freedom in Christ, um, certain slaves thought that meant that that was freedom for them physically, right? Physical freedom as well as um, not just freedom in 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 our souls, right, from sin. And so um, he's just like, look, no, you, you still have to fulfill your earthly duties, right? You still have to actually do the things. Like, that's why he actually doesn't totally release people from slavery. That's what we talked about. That's the conclusion we came to last week. Now, ultimately, he'll do that. But here on earth, like, we're, we're still to fulfill whatever uh, has been placed on us. Does that make sense? I have
0: a question. Were they still practicing the sabbatical and jubilee years even though the sanctuary has or the temple has been destroyed jerusalem has been destroyed at some
2: point at, at this point where they're under roman control may even if a lot of slave masters wanted to free their slaves they were restricted by law and how many they could like if a person had a hundred slaves they might only be able to free up to like 50 of them even if they wanted to free all of them And so some slaves were barred from being freed if you get, I'm right. Isn't that right, Jonah?
3: Yeah, right. There were, there were laws regarding manumission. Um, Regarding the Jubilee though, I have heard some sources say, and this is difficult to verify one way or the other, but I have heard that the Jubilee was never observed. Yeah. I.
0: And that was part of the repercussion of going into, into, captivity correct because they weren't practicing those as well, they should.
4: they're they're no longer under their old lot right they're they're under a government a, a roman governmental authority now so it's a totally different it's they don't they probably don't even have the choice at this point now i don't i don't know that for certain uh like i don't I don't see where, if y'all are familiar with the year of Jubilee, that means like every seven years, all the slaves are freed. You're not supposed to work this. Like it's a, it's a year of rest. Like you're supposed to rest the, anyway, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't think those laws would even apply because they're no longer even in those under the same governmental agencies anymore.
3: Right. So yeah, the Jubilee, which occurred every 49 years was like, all, all of the land went back to the original family. all debts were forgiven you know so it you know and I suspect part of the reason that people think it was never observed be, was because of the the chaos that it would have
2: created in terms of like property ownership and you know records keeping. And to you
5: think know? about and to think about setting aside food for a family for a whole year Yeah.
2: Well, even every seven years, the land was supposed to lie fallow or whatever, so that the poor may eat. That was every seven years, not even every forty-nine, if I recall. Right. But
3: it's interesting when Jesus, um, the first recorded address that we have of Jesus, when he, I, I, the term probably isn't priest, but when he gets up to read in the synagogue he reads from Isaiah and that the passage that he reads in Isaiah is referencing the Jubilee. So in effect, he's saying he's declaring that the Jubilee has come and we're getting a little bit off track here, but actually if you look at the way that Matthew's genealogy of Jesus is laid out, it's laid out in, I guess six, well, three sections of 14 generations each. And then Jesus is the last which you could read as being like six sections of seven, and then Jesus is the seventh seven. which to a Hebrew audience would have been pretty explicitly alluding to the Jubilee.
4: Right. Well, and I think that actually it's not too far off topic because it actually links up with this topic in the sense that, look, It's talking about something like no longer is the Israel of uh, is the nation of Israel established as a nation anymore. It's going to become something spiritual, right? This is all going to become from from a physical standpoint, from something you can see here and touch, and all that stuff. It's going to be something else, right? And I actually think that's what Paul's getting at, or, or Paul's getting at here to Timothy is like if anybody teaches that. You're supposed to be free, physically free. Like, this is not the case. You're actually supposed to remain in bondage. and you're supposed to remain in that, but you are free in Christ, right? Okay, so all the things, uh, like, not all the things, but a lot of the things of the Old Testament that he, we thought, oh, we're going to keep going. We're going to see our, this coming Messiah establish this thing again. He established it in a completely new way. It wasn't the same, right? And this is one of those examples, I think. Mm.
5: So you're saying that these verses are still connected to the previous two?
4: Yeah. Because he says if anyone teaches a different doctrine, meaning that he was already putting a doctrine down of, um, of a slave continuing to serve his master and w- counting his master as worthy of all honor. Right. You remember that from last
2: week? Yeah. yeah. It, it, th- does that necessarily have to refer to the section before or could it also refer to an, the upcoming section? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. He, he simply says the word otherwise. And so it's alluding to something which he's talking about but maybe not explicitly the previous section. I don't know.
3: Yeah, but if you think about the way that these letters were delivered, right? I mean, you know, especially the letters to the churches, but even Timothy's probably, right? They're read aloud and sequentially, right? You know, they sit down and they read the letter to everybody. So it would be really confusing. It's like, oh yeah, don't let anybody teach otherwise. I'm not going to tell you what that otherwise is until after I've told you not to let them teach it. So, I think that in terms of logic and order, I, it's at least to me, it's fairly clear that he's referring back to what he was, had just finished talking about.
4: So, oh, in, the, in the following uh, section there of, of verse three, where are we? Um, does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ to godly people. And then he goes on to say they are conceited and understand nothing. What would he be? Re- is, is he still referring to the same stuff that we just talked about or all of Jesus' teaching? Like, wh- like, where does our mind go with that, right? <laughs> I don't know. Help me. I look
0: at it kind of, I mean, it's a guidepost for everything. Yeah. Because it's always it's your
5: foundation. I could I would consider it as referring to anything that is, was taught by Jesus, or that has been taught by the apostles.
2: But it, is the audience of this section Timothy alone or a larger group? The, I have a hard time believing because that seems like a very like if you're referring to a larger group, what you're saying will be inherently controversial and will not impress those who may be struggling or learning. You get what I'm saying?
5: I don't know the point.
3: Yeah, I mean but so the letter is obviously written, you know, the the, the primary audience that Paul is writing to directly as Timothy because he addresses Timothy repeatedly throughout the letter, right? Did Paul think that Timothy was going to share the letter? Yeah, I'm sure he did, right? And obviously he did, otherwise we wouldn't have the letters. Timothy obviously shared them with people.
5: And I see what you mean about the talking to other people, but... What about that verse in um, Philippians where it says that the word of God is a, or is, it, or is it Timothy somewhere else? The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword dividing the heart And I forget the rest of the verse.
2: But like, um, I'll take a different, So like, um, when people, I hear people arguing about climate change, whether or not it's man-made or not. Um, th- like they'll say, well, if," or what, one side might say, well, if you think that climate change doesn't exist, you know nothing, you're arrogant, you're conceited. And the other side will say the same thing and you won't get anywhere.
3: Right, but in, in, in this case, it, it goes deeper, right? Because Paul here is distinguishing between spiritual growth and intellectual ramblings, I guess, right, which occasionally I'm certainly guilty of myself, right, you know, on biblical topics themselves, but in the case of climate change, whether climate change is real or not, doesn't really matter to a person's spiritual growth, or it shouldn't, you know, unless you make climate change your religion, in which case I would advise you to reconsider that position
2: there are people who do that.
3: Right. But. but, but, you know, so a prime example here, I don't know how many of you guys know who Bart Ehrman is. Um, he's a, I think is a, he's a theology professor at UNC Chapel Hill and he's a new Testament. He's a new Testament scholar and he's an atheist. Right. So all of his discussions are inherently focused on the intellectual aspect of things, but there's no spirit. There's, there's no spiritual power behind it, right? Because he doesn't believe it, right? He, he just, he digs into the stuff and he parses it, you know, he, he, he dissects it, but it doesn't actually do him any good, right? There's, and there's lots of biblical scholars like that that don't actually believe what they're reading.
4: I so I'll, I'll just say on that, but I think we're getting up, but I actually do think it does people good, right? But it doesn't do them the ultimate good. I actually think the Bible and its teachings, there's a reason people are drawn to them. It's because they're good. Like, the way to do them is is actually a good thing, right? But, but if you're falling short of realizing that you need a Savior and you need Jesus in your life and you have to have a relation, a living relationship with him, yeah, like, what's it all for? Just to have a good life here? It's like, it's nothing. You know, this is nothing. Um, you know what I mean? um do you, have any of you ever heard of a chiastic structure okay jonah's heard of it kind of a weird weird term okay so um jonah if you want to help me explain it that's fine but i'm just going to do a super simple it's kind of like um um uh, have you ever said well that well that um that conversation went full circle have you heard that before Means it came back around eventually, right? What it was talking about, okay? It's kind of kind of what a chiastic structure does, and actually, he's doing that. Um, First Timothy, I mean, Paul's doing that here in First Timothy as a reminder of that. I just saw this. I'm going to read you First Timothy, First Timothy, chapter one. We did this like seven years ago when we started this book. Um, First Timothy, chapter one. Um, And I'm going to read verses three through, uh, probably just three through four, and then we're going to read again our three and four here, okay? Check this out. As I urged you when when I was in Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations, rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Okay, we read that. Now let's read one more time, um, three and four of chapter six. If anyone teaches otherwise, false teaching, right? And does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching. They are conceited and understanding nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth, and you think that godliness is the means of financial gain. <laughs> like, like, do you, you see the parallels there? Did you hear them?
0: Sort of?
4: He uses a little bit different language, right? But it's the same idea behind it. He's like, there's a false teaching, and it's a disaster when this happens. It always creates strife. There's always fighting, backbiting, all this, all this malicious envy and and, and malicious talk, right? When there's false teaching. Now, just think about this for a second. With this verse, especially with verse three, where he says, um, well, he begins it with, um, what does he say? Uh, Help me. Sound instruction. What's that?
0: Are you talking about sound instruction? Oh, yeah. If
4: anyone teaches otherwise, and it's actually relating Think about this for a second, okay? When it's direct now, I think, I think it does go broader, far broader than just these. But just think about the, the previous verses and what we talked about. If slaves were, were saying, okay, we're free to go now because Jesus made us free, especially to our believing masters, what would that
2: do?
6: It, it would uh, lead to what he mentions later, envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction.
4: And why do you think that, Brad? Well,
6: well, it's funny, actually, before I was trying to think about what I wanted to say on these passages, even too, and then it finally, I felt like, sort of clicked, if it is referencing back to um, slavery, which it seems like it actually is. It's, you know, in the sense, as we've discussed about already, in um, verses one and one and two just in the sense that if if slaves started going deciding just to go go free i guess you could say and I, i'm reading one and two again real quick um i mean i feel like it's pretty straightforward if it was just like people got up and just left okay that'd be a mess it would be a mess I guess is yeah. the easiest way to put it.
4: Yeah. If you said it, Brad, like if, if they just got up and left, I mean, well, like think about if you're number one, if you're a slave who probably owes their master something, right? Or owes somebody something. And then think about the master.
5: What happens? N- nothing would get done that they were responsible for doing, is what I see. Yeah. Okay,
0: they'd still be out of the debt that was still owed them, and they may potentially require that to fulfill some other means.
3: I mean, people from the outside, and you know, especially the people that feel they're being slighted by whatever decision is being made, are going to think that they're effectively abusing their religion for their own personal gain.
4: Ah, yes, right. Yeah,
3: You know, and, and, you know, the same thing happens today, right? Not in this particular context, but people always say, oh, look at, you know, that pastor, you know, of the church that's got 25,000 members and he's flying around in his own private jet, right? And people say, well, he's he's abusing his religion, you know, well, he's using his religion for personal gain.
4: Yeah, I'll get there, guys. I'll get there. Just yeah, I won't forget you. When I get there and get my own jet, I'll make sure there's at least seven, eight spots in there. We can take a flight once in a while, okay?
3: This is being recorded, Jake.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I want to edit that part out. <laughs> no, yeah, that, I mean, I think this is it, right? He's just like, look, this is going to create a massive turmoil. Is it God's ideal for slaves to, to walk free? Is that his ideal? Yeah. Like, he's always done this throughout history. He brought, this is this is the, the main narrative of the entire Bible. The main narrative of the entire Old Testament leading up to Jesus is what? What's the main story? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone?
6: Well, well could you just say, like, freeing his people from from bondage? Yes, slavery, yes. Where do you
4: do that in a in a huge way in the Old Testament?
6: Well, I mean, when you go Egypt is the first with Moses is the first spot I think of.
4: Yes, this is it. Like the Exodus, right? That means to come to come out of of this slavery, this bondage that God leads us out of. This is His whole plan throughout. You'll you'll just see it throughout. Um, throughout the Bible, the Exodus narrative is played over and over again because it's supposed to be leading up to what Jesus does on the cross and what he's going fi- to do on the final day, right? That's the, the great Exodus. Yeah, so, so he's not— he, he, Again, going back to the point is that, look, God's ideal is for slavery to never exist, of course. But what happens when you, when you disrupt a system— Too quickly. You know what happens?
3: Chaos, riots, protests.
5: Tyranny. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you think, (laughs) Jonah.
4: Power to the people. (laughs) (laughs) On the news, baby. Yep. And, And you actually ineffectively. Instead of, okay, so have any of you heard of something, I don't know, did we talk about this for, we we talked about this last week, yeah, divine accommodation. Does anybody remember what that means?
5: Would you refresh my memory, please?
4: No, hang on, no, Lord, (laughs) you have to, this is important stuff, Okay.
5: okay. Oh, okay, something about God allows things to happen. Not necessarily because they're the best thing, but because that they're going to play out and have the same result, basically. Oh
4: Yes, I mean we're getting there. yeah, okay, this is good. This is good. I'm glad we're I'm glad we're remembering. It takes time. Okay. <laughs> any, any other comments on divine accommodation, what it means? I guess I'll just throw the example of polygamy out
0: there. Ugh. Oh. Well, I mean, because it's an easy one to bring up, right?
3: God, he 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 doesn't he doesn't support polygamy, right? But it's not his primary focus in the trans in attempting to bring his people up to a higher level, right? It, it, polygamy is not his main focus when you read through the prophets, right? They're more focused on transforming the hearts. And then, you know, the hope is that polygamy eventually drops by the wayside as the people's hearts are transformed.
4: Yeah.
5: I've always wondered about that. If if there wasn't polygamy there in the beginning and all the 12 brothers, how God would have accomplished the twelve tribes would have it been like started out with like three or four brothers and then their sons to make the twelve tribes or that's I've always wondered about that.
4: Look, I love this because during Christmas time you look at the genealogy of Jesus and you're like, I don't I don't feel so bad about my family now. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because that's I mean, some of the stuff that's brought up in there. Like, my favorite one, personally, is brought up in G- Jesus' genealogy. And, oh, man. Oh, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. But he bas- um, Matthew brings up. Um, um, You're
3: referring to Tamar?
4: No. Oh, well, yeah, that's the second best one uh, in, my, <laughs> in my book. The second best one is Tamar. But I think that the, the best or the worst one, maybe, is um, uh, David kills who?
3: Wife, wife of Uriah. Yes, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. he. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or husband of Uriah. Bathsheba Gath- is the wife of Uriah. yes yeah, right. He he doesn't just mention it comes from Bathsheba. He he actually mentions Uriah in the text, which is pointing out a specific thing of like Jesus's lineage. David had sex with this woman who was already married to someone who served King David and then King David put that guy out on the front line so he would die just
5: to steal his wife. Pretty nasty. Pretty dirty work. Ever his and, sin. and
4: our savior came from that line.
5: <laughs> I, I can do awesome things. And
4: he's like, look, you, you think you have a messed up family. You don't. you got no idea, right? All right. So where were we going with the divine okay. foundation? Okay, so the, <laughs> <laughs> rabbit trail, squirrel. All right. Um. So that's a great question. We were talking about he divine doesn't
0: foundation. condone slavery.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this is never the idea, but but if we disrupt systems too quickly that are in place without real without a change of heart, we're gonna go from one ditch right into the other ditch really fast, and we're gonna go further. By the way.
3: And we see this borne out historically, right? I mean, you know, the French Revolution is a prime example. Yes. Where, you know, the, the, you know, prior to, when was the French Revolution? 1789, somewhere right in there. Um, and prior to that, the government was basically run by Catholics and the people got fed up with it and they went, took completely the other way and killed all of the, you know, all of the religious, you know, Anybody that was affiliated with the Catholic church, um, they went and around and killed them all and made the country entirely secular. And they even tried to implement a 10-day work week. And that just, you know, they, the pendulum swung clean over the other direction, right? Yeah. And, you know, they ended up just as bad as, they, as what they were rebelling against.
4: And we're probably going to watch that today in our world right now. We we hold something as ultimate and we fight too hard against it and we actually become the thing that we actually we're actually fighting against. And it's it's uh and it creates this stuff. This is what he's saying, right? What does he say about it? He's like, um
3: Oh, oh. We 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 see this with the religious leaders in Jesus' time. They're pushing so hard against Rome that
5: they effectively co-opt. Rome for their own purposes (laughs) yeah that's true and they were then they were blind and they couldn't see that Jesus was the Messiah
2: yeah yeah do you think that's the reason or do you think that they were more just pursuing the godliness for their own financial gain as is referenced in this as well I I don't know necessarily that they were pushing so hard against Rome that they became Rome. I was, I was thinking that they were more just trying to uphold a fairly good-paying job of where they got the best feet, the best seats at all the festivals, and they were the talk of the town and all that.
3: There, there was a certain portion in the Pharisees, more so than the Sadducees, of the... Of the Jewish religious order that was almost rabidly anti-Roman, and what they were looking for in the Messiah was somebody that would effectively boot Rome out of Canaan, right? But like, give grant Israel autonomy. And, and a lot of the disciples get... fell into this same, you know, issue of the perception of who, what the Messiah was going to
5: accomplish. What, what was that, Rachel? And wasn't there a group like within the high priests that, were, that had their own criminal, crime ring r- running as well? Or was that just the um, Barabbas and his ilk?
4: I don't know, but I like the sounds of this crime ring. I want to learn more about it.
2: <laughs> what, one of Jesus' disciples was described as a zealot. And so as a zealot, he would have been one of those who would have been pushed or who was at one time pushing hard against Rome and wanted to see Rome overthrown. I don't know if he, towards the end, realized as he continued hearing Jesus' teachings that, that, that his belief was wrong. That's not really thoroughly explored, is it, Jonah? I don't think.
3: Well, I mean, he he maintained his position. I mean, all of the pretty much all of the disciples suffered from this illusion. I mean, even James and John, right, were vying for positions in the kingdom, right? And they had they
2: had their mother go and ask Jesus because they didn't want to ask outright, right? But but there was one disciple who, when it lists all of the disciples, yeah, right.
3: He specifically describes Simon as a zealot.
2: Yeah, right. The reason I'm not using the name Simon is because it can be confused with the right. other Simon.
3: Yeah, right. We we will we'll contrast Simon Peter with Simon Basil because they are two different people. But I, you know, I think this perception was widespread, right? And it's understandable. But you know, the idea, you know, and as Americans, I think we can probably identify this 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 desire to have political autonomy, right? It's something that. We would all rather have than not have, but a lot of the people in first century Judea had de facto let that become their religion, right? And we should be leery of the same thing ourselves, you know, when it comes to political matters, are we letting politics become our religion?
4: Yeah. Or, yeah, anything. Political idolatry, right? It was a it was a big thing actually back then, and it's interesting. I was just having a conversation with uh, Pastor Justin about this yesterday about how um, about I think it's wise sometimes. Like you look at Jesus, and he doesn't attack uh, the politicians outside of his own religion very much, at least. Um, he actually just kind of internalizes it because. And he gives examples, actually historical examples so that people can come to their own conclusions on it and not just state that he's on a specific side, but just like, hey, look, there's, a, uh, there's an undercurrent uh, of, of a, a type of um, a spirit in both of these places. And that's the thing to fight against, right? Um, or fight for, actually. Um, yeah. Spirit of, of goodness and things that work in unity not of dissension and like it's going to be here like we're, what we're reading right now
5: we're not going into four yet well okay
4: all right we can go to four but what hang on on three like what does it mean <laughs> what what does it mean um i i translated it as as healthy agree with the healthy words of our lord jesus christ is that what yours all says what does yours all say
5: mine says wholesome words King James.
6: Words. That says sound. Sound. Sound words. Okay. Okay.
4: How do we know? How do we know? Right? Because we have uh, look at our current culture as well. By the way, we we claim the name of Jesus, and we do this thing and say this is what he taught. Right? This is actually happening already, probably in, in this time. So how do we know? That these were something that, 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 that Jesus taught. How do we know?
0: You have the word. You have his example. But
6: people
4: misquote him and misunderstand him all the time.
0: But what's the result that comes from it?
4: Ah, this is good. Okay, this is why I translated it as healthy, okay? Okay, so actually this is probably a topic that's current right now because I'm talking about it in 2 in Peter last weekend and, and this weekend at church. And it show, he talks about, um, he gives seven um, qualities or virtues. And he's like, look, if you have these, you can't fail when you, when, you, when you are working by these things and when the Spirit's working in you in this way. But if you don't have these things, forgotten who your savior is basically you know and we should actually see fruits coming out of this thing and i think this is in, really important because you get many people who memorize many bible texts and you see no fruit in their lives They're, it's just not good it's like i don't really want to be around them <laughs> you know and it's something that has been developed um do any of you know what bibliolatry is you heard of this term
6: It sounds like Bible idolatry.
4: Yes, Brad. Yeah, baby. Okay. Now, how could explain that? What, what, what is Bible idolatry? Uh,
6: Bible idolatry. Well, I guess. I mean, this is the first time hearing the term, but but it seems like you hold the Bible in a sense and the knowledge of the Bible. It sounds like above, who God is and His character and who jesus is like you you see that as god when it's just god's words but above who jesus is himself
4: yeah that's
3: at, 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 at
6: the risk of being
3: accused <laughs> i've got a bible verse to quote
4: <laughs> i think i know which one you're going to quote it's, it's jesus when, talking when,
3: when, quote. when jesus is calling out the pharisees right yes. he says, you, you search the scriptures thinking of them then in them you have eternal life yeah. are they which testify of me.
4: Yeah, but but he's like, you won't come to me. Like they're talking about me. Come to me, right? And this is the thing. If our Bible, if this Bible study, if our Bible studies don't actually lead us to Jesus, we are gonna go right to bibliolatry. We're gonna use it actually, and it's gonna cause death and destruction and dissension. All the things that are coming, the bad things that are coming, we're actually gonna do that. We're gonna use the truth, right? I'm going to love you with the truth. Here's the truth, and you need to know it. It's like, look, when we act like that, we don't actually understand who Jesus is. We, we actually miss his character most of the time when we act like that. Do people need to know the truth? Yeah, but the, it's it's in him, in Jesus, right? And I think, I actually think Seventh-day Adventism had, uh, can, can um, some sects within Adventism can toy with this line, probably all denominations, but Hey, we're in we're in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, so that's why I'm familiar with it. But we can we can dance with this line a little bit. Sometimes I see that with certain people where it's like, well, that's not you're just using that to to control and to manipulate, and that's not God's character. He's never done that. He doesn't do that. Anyway, okay, so. Healthy, healthy words of Christ, right? They should actually produce life and fruit and goodness and the fruit of the spirit, right? And if they don't, hmm, we may have a problem, Houston. Okay. All right, Rachel. We can move on to verse four. (laughs) If you say so. Well, you got to read for us again.
5: You do realize it's seven o'clock.
4: All right, Rachel,
2: we're not moving up to first <laughs> 6.59. Credit my clock.
5: Yeah, 6.59. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's pretty close, Lauren.
4: All right, and we do have another meeting. Okay. That's probably a pretty good place to stop. Covered one verse. I'm really impressed.
6: We, we kind of touched on four, though. I felt like, like four next week, we should move through. I feel like quickly. I, I that's what I want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> great, great expectations, like the,
2: Brad.
4: <laughs> yeah, I like your optimism, Brad, but unlikely. <laughs> we have hope, though. We will, we will persevere through this.
6: <laughs> All right. Brad,
0: will you close us out in
6: prayer? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Father, I just want to thank you for this time that we get to come together and, and meet and read your word and and grow close for you together. Um, Father, I just uh, just pray that as we go throughout our week, that that we may have hearts that are submissive to you and who you are, and and what you have called us to do and, and essentially let us be receptive to the will or the path that you have for us, Father, I guess is the best way I'm trying to put it. Um, let us be submissive and, and I, I just pray for a week um, full of you, um, full of your presence. Um, and I, I pray that we go through a week with grateful hearts, knowing that we are undeserving of any blessing that, that you have given us or will give us, um, and the blessing of eternal life is something that we um, could not have earned or strived for um, if it wasn't for um, the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we thank you so much for him um, and and that sacrifice um, that has saved us. Um, Bless this week. Thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.